everyone, and welcome back to another episode of How's the Pressure? I am your host, Haley Winter, and today we'll be starting our conversation about lower back spasms. So let me introduce our first set of panelists. The second set will be reserved for episode number two on this condition, which will be released in two weeks. But today, we start with Ruth Werner. She is an educator about massage therapy and pathology, who will help us set the foundation of understanding on a physiological level. She'll talk about what's actually happening on a tissue level with each individual who has this condition. Next, we have Whitney Lowe, our orthopedic massage expert, who has decades of experience in the clinical setting, as well as a treasure trove of CEU classes. He will be followed by Rick Gold, our Eastern medicine and bodywork specialist, who will be giving us his thoughts from his extensive experience working as an Eastern medicine doctor and acupuncturist, as well as a massage educator. He'll be followed by Walt Fritz, who is an evidence-based physical therapist specializing in myofascial release. Last but not least, we will wrap up with Meredith Stevens, who is a Pilates physical therapist and movement expert, as well as being a massage therapist and a trainer for Anatomy Trains. As usual, there's going to be a lot of different opinions and perspectives that will be shared over the course of this and upcoming episodes. I want to be clear that I'm not trying to put any one opinion over the other. I believe that my job is to bring experienced people together and ask them good questions. Clearly, we have quite a bit to get to, so let's dive in. I bring you the first panel on lower back spasms. All right, and as always, we are going to start with Ruth Werner, who's a massage therapy educator that specializes in pathology for massage therapists. And what she's going to do is she's going to help set up the context for this discussion around the particular condition and kind of lay the groundwork from where all the other conversations can take place. So thank you so much for joining me, Ruth. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Haley. So talk to me about low back spasms. Okay. What would you like to talk about <laughs> well, with low back spasms? Yeah, it's, it, it, there's, I think, a couple of different ways in which clients have come into my room and, and other massage rooms. You know, People who have thrown out their back or in more of an acute phase and other people who feel like it's more of an intermittent thing where they have mm, uh, rising and falling levels of, of tension or, or pain. Okay. And I'm, I'm sure. curious, like, what, 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 what is actually happening there? What are we, what are we working yeah. with? Oh, okay. What is actually happening there? We have no idea. I mean, I love that answer. It's, it's, it's easy to say. Um, a whole bunch of different things could contribute to people having the sense that they've thrown out their back, which is a funny way of putting it, isn't it? It's like, you know, throwing it out with the chicken bones or something. Um, so, so low back pain can be about a kajillion different things. Um, the having muscles tighten up can be either a cause or a response to low back pain, right? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up a step and just talk about low back pain and then we'll talk about low back spasms sort of as an aspect of that. And again, I, I am falling back on education that I underwent a really, really, really long time ago, okay? But, but the biggest factor that I learned in low back pain, and, and this has been my filter as I have gone through a life of experiencing occasional low back pain, 
um, is as a, an aspect of ligamentous injury, right? So, you know, we have ligaments that run from spinous to spinous process and from transverse to transverse process. And we have a whole slew of them in the connection of the sacrum to the ilium. Um, and if any of those ligaments get a little tweaked, a little irritated, a little twisted, a little stretched, um, then we are likely to have a big muscular response in that neighborhood because our muscles are trying to stabilize something that, that maybe we perceive as being unstable. And so when we talk about this, this, uh, this saying of, you know, I feel like I, threw out my, like I threw my back out or I feel like my back is really weak or I feel like my back is in spasm, um, uh, from my own perspective, I'm inclined to look at that as 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 possibly a ligamentous issue with a musc you know, with a muscle uh, muscular sort of um, add on or flavor on top of that. Um, and you know, our listeners will be aware that those muscle spasms can be really huge and grabby, and we might call that a cramp. Or those muscle spasms can be sort of a slower, long-term, but just really, really hard, like hypertonic muscles. And, and the, the conventional medical way of talking about that would be as a muscle spasm. So a spasm is typically a, a longer-term tautness, where a cramp is a shorter-term, like Charlie horse, right? Um, and... You know, there's a bunch of contributing factors to this. When you ask what's really going on, I think a lot of it in the low, when we see it in the low back is a, is a stabilization thing. When we see muscle spasms in other places, I might wonder about things about dehydration um, or, or about um, uh, certain, the, the presence or absence of certain minerals. People who know much more about nutrition than I do, you know, always ask questions about calcium and magnesium and a couple of other things. Um, for people who are struggling with, with uh, painful spasms. Um, and also we can just neurologically get set up where we are, uh, this particularly happens when we've been exercising a lot or really stressing our body is neurologically, we just get a little overdone and the muscles have a tendency to wanna clamp down. Um, the good news about massage therapy in this kind of situation is it's probably gonna be hard to really injure somebody. If you can rule out that there's a disc or, you know, something structural in, in the spine, like a bone spur or a tumor or something like that, if you can rule out those things, um, then probably you, you may have different levels of success with help, helping people with the pain related to these hypertonic muscles in the low back. But I, I, don't, I don't really see a way to do a lot of damage. So, um, you know, we have a lot of clients who have low back pain. There's a lot of wonderful massage for low back pain. There's some great research on massage and low back pain. Um, but when we're talking specifically about muscle spasms in the low back, m you know, my first impulse is to think about, you know, what, what is that muscle trying to protect? And is there a way that I can have some influence to help that get better? All right. Thanks so much, Ruth. You're welcome. You can find out more about Ruth through her website at ruthwerner.com. You can also read her work in A Massage Therapist's Guides to Pathology, a book that she wrote, which is now published by Books of Discovery. All right, now we're going to go ahead and turn to Whitney Lowe, who's an orthopedic massage specialist, to talk about his take on our condition of interest today. 
Thanks for joining us, Whitney. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So what is your understanding or approach when uh, working with lower back spasms? You know, um, low back spasms are what we frequently also refer to as sort of hypertonicity in, in lumbar musculature is probably one of the most common reasons people come seeking massages, you know, low back pain that's from hypertonicity. So one of the things that I like to, to you know, really try to address at the outset is, is sort of clearing out other red flags that might be the genesis or the driving factor behind that. So if something is, you know, if there's any apparent nerve root compression or something neurological that might be leading to a protective spasm where the muscles are tightening up in response to that, try to identify if there's any of those other factors first. And in absence of those other factors, a lot of times we just see perpetual muscle spasms in the lumbar region as a result of, let's say, somebody who sits all day or somebody who's done some you know, overload from lifting a heavy box or something like that. And that's caused that spasm to occur in that area. So uh, once we've identified if it's, it's, it seems to be predominantly muscular, there are very few interventions I can think of that are gonna be as effective as, as massage in helping to address that and settle those um, spasms or extreme hypertonicity down. And we'll do, you know, uh, all different types of techniques can be beneficial, you know, myofascial work, deep longitudinal stripping techniques, soothing effleurage, um, all kinds of things can be beneficial. The most helpful things I find to be those that really just ease the pain and make the person feel better, whatever that is. Now, sometimes that's like in a really acute bad spasm where a person's like, you know, they hardly want to be touched and they're just so wrenched up in pain. The softer your work, I find in that those instances, the more beneficial it's generally going to be because we have the nervous system is so so wound up at that point, we've got to just start settling it down. And sometimes that means just placing a hand on and giving just a light bit of skin traction and just a light bit of skin stretch. And that can start the process of, of easing that down a little bit. And then we gradually need to just sort of reinforce the, the hey, touch is okay. We're going to make some gradual improvements in here. And in terms of assessment to try and differentiate between a muscular source or let's say like a, a nerve root irritation, uh, how, what are some of the assessment tools you would use to differentiate those two? So first and foremost, um, signs and symptoms that a person reports. So any significant um, reporting of pain shooting down the lower extremity or sharp electrical kind of sensations, especially anything that goes down the lower extremity would be more indicative of nerve root involvement. The muscular low back pain that's from muscle spasms really tends to be most frequently reproduced with palpation of those specific muscles and irritated tissues. You press on them like, oh, that's it right there. That's the one. That's almost always going to be muscular uh, generated pain problems because you're not pressing on or irritating the nerve roots at that point at all. They are in front of the transverse processes, so you can't get to them. And once you can re reproduce that with palpation, that's a pretty good indication that that's what you're dealing with there. And is there anything about client positioning that you find is effective with regards to the treatment when it is a, a muscular issue? Yeah, I would say there's some benefits to a variety of different positions and there is no rule about what's the best position because it really, it, it varies and depends. So what's important is to use some variety. Like for example, a person who's having a lot of low back spasm might not be comfortable on a flat massage table in a prone position because that tends to shorten 
those lumbar extensor muscles. They might be a lot more comfortable with a little bit of a pillow underneath their abdomen or possibly in a sideline position where they can bring their knees up a little bit and bring that whole lumbar area into a little bit more flexion protocol than in a straight extension position. So the key thing is find what eases the pain and whatever it is that, re that reduces any pain sensations, that's what you wanna pursue uh, positioning wise and doing your work in that position is likely to be a lot more effective. One of the things that uh, you know we find to be particularly helpful in a lot of the extremities, and I had mentioned this in one of our other discussions, is doing a lot of active engagement work where the muscle moves through a range of motion while you're working on it. Um, that's also really helpful to do when you're dealing with lumbar muscle spasms, but it's a whole lot harder because it's, it's hard to do movement with a person on, on the table um, because of the way body weight's distributed. It's just not easy to move your whole torso. So you kind of have to, you know, work around some some issues of figuring out the ways to best do that. And in terms of both client safety and even therapist safety, do you have any recommendations on working with this condition? Because I can imagine, you know, in, in my experience when, when working with a client who has a lower back spasm, they often need help getting on the table. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's a big factor as to, you know, uh, and another important thing that often happens too, we can do a lot of really great work with people. Let's say if somebody comes in with a low back uh, spasm, I've seen this lots of times, you know, muscular low back pain, they come in, we do all this magnificent work with them, and then they're getting up off the table to get dressed and something just like seizes up and they are in, you know, really severe pain because something's just really tightened up. And it's really important to remember that what happens a lot during massage work is we are really settling down the nervous system and in some ways kind of cleaning the slate of a lot of this pattern of irritability of the, of these muscles that have been bombarding the brain's programming all the whole time. And now we've changed that dramatically with this soft tissue work. We've made these muscles relax. We've soothed them. We've increased the range of motion. That's a totally new set of input, proprioceptive input back into the nervous system about what's going on down there that our brain is having to analyze. And all of a sudden it feels really uneasy about, hey, I was putting on the brakes and seizing all this stuff up a little while ago for protection because it something made me think I had to really hold everything tight down here. And now it's moving all around like crazy. Put on the brakes and slam it tight again so we don't hurt something worse. So essentially the brain is reproducing the what it used to have, which is that spasm in there. So it's really important a lot of times to get people to move really slowly and very meticulously as they start moving in these new patterns after you work with them or even while they're on the table so that you don't jar the brain's proprioceptive input about what's really going on in there. All right. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you. And now we're bringing in Rick Gold, who's our Eastern Massage and Chinese Medicine Specialist, to talk with us. Thanks for joining us, Rick. My pleasure, Haley. I look forward to it. So tell me your thoughts on lower back spasms. Lower, so we're going to differentiate low back spasm from chronic back pain. Is that correct? That's correct. So this is more like someone coming in and they, they've thrown their back out. Okay. So more. Okay. So... Um, a spasm in the body in, in medical Chinese medical theory is going to usually involve wind, trapped wind, because it's, it's a movement. And we, the nature of wind is it's moving. Your yoga people, it's going to be va trapped vata from an Ayurvedic point of view. So um, one of the best ways of treating uh, wind and spasm is the cupping technique. 
to literally just place cups. Again, if you um, if you if you do uh, bleeding techniques, that that would be indicated here. I'm not recommending it unless you're licensed to to do something like with acupuncture. We can bleed. I'm a massage therapist. I'm quite confident you can't. But um, that could be a referral to someone. Um, Distal points, there's the, the point behind the knee, um, urinary, urinary bladder 40 is very powerful for the low back. It's right uh, right behind the, in the popliteal fossa, it's right in the middle there. You can hold this point. Um, I do like hot poultices on the low back. Um, castor oil is very helpful for the, that kind of inflammation. The body usually goes into spasm like that because it's trying to rid itself of inflammation. And the spasm is a way to help pump pump blood uh, through an area. So um, so a hot hot packs are going to be better. The the cupping is going to be very helpful. There is an extra point in Chinese medicine uh, on the hand. It's it's I, it has a Chinese name. It's on between the little and the ring fingers on the back of the hand. What we do is we press or needle into this point strongly. And with the patient standing, we have them rotate their hips and their low back. They can bend forward, bend back. That's often very helpful. An exercise I was taught when I studied modern dance in college uh, too many years ago is actually to stand like on a curb or put a, a thick book down and get your heels uh, below your toes, usually three, four inches if possible, and just hang. And that really gives a very, very nice stretch to the low back. If a person has a slant board or has access to a slant board, that's very helpful uh, for the low back spasm. Is, is a slant board like an inversion table? But, yeah, but, but without, going 100, without going all the way up. It's usually about a uh, 16-inch differential between your head and your, uh, and your heels. But it's, it's an anti-gravity uh, thing. Now, one thing that most people uh, outside of Asian body work might not think about with low back spasms is uh, the, the root of wind in the body is usually going to be in the intestines and the liver. So one way, uh, and oftentimes I'll do this first before I'll work on the back directly, is I'll go deep into the abdomen, usually uh, at the same level of the navel, about two inches lateral on either side. I'll do either a deep thumb compression, deep finger compression, potentially elbow. If I'm standing, I can use my heel and go deep because you wanna go deep there so the, the, end of the recipient actually feels the connection between what you're doing on their abdomen and the area of spasm in the low back. And sometimes you might get a, a release of wind, if you know what I mean. Uh, and sometimes, and the spasms can dissipate uh, like that. So a combination of front and back, distal, local, uh, ear, hot poultices, and usually warm foods. Again, warm foods. Uh, the low back is the, is the area that houses the kidneys and the Ming men, the ministerial fire. So you want things that are warming to relieve the low back. And in terms of a Thai massage techniques that help with low back uh, discomfort, are there any in particular that you particularly like? Well, uh, certainly when we do the thumb chasing thumb, the palm presses into the area, down into the gluteals and into the hamstrings. There are some stretches um, 
where we actually uh, create a lift to the low back. Um, one way is we cross the one foot behind, one, raise, one leg's at 90 degrees to the lower leg. You cross the other lower leg and plant the foot behind the knee. And you come along the side and you lift that leg while you're palm pressing in the low back. That's a marvelous treatment. You both get a therapeutic stretch and the compression into the area. So a Thai massage has some really good techniques, stretch techniques for low back. Shiatsu therapists, uh, just basic type of shiatsu will use thumb presses, and that's very beneficial. But they probably would start distally and open up the pathways and then go, then go locally. But back spasms often are very, very uh, effectively treated using Asian body work and therapeutic massage, too. All right. Thank you so much, Rick. Certainly. Now, that was Rick Gold. You can learn more about any of the Eastern medicine points he was talking about with a simple Google search. And Rick also develops music for meditation. And you can learn more about that music at www.metamindfulnessmusic.com. And his work there is to help facilitate meditation and mindfulness. So now I'm going to bring in Walt Fritz, who will give us his thoughts from the perspective of a physical therapist who specializes in evidence-informed myofascial release. Welcome, Walt. Thanks for having me, Haley. So talk to me about lower back spasms. Well, low back pain, uh, spasm, low back pain, probably um, behind neck or neck and shoulder pain is probably my number two or three diagnosis that people walk into my clinic for. And sometimes walk over a little bit, walk in a little bit crooked, right? Um, but, you know, the first thing I want to make sure is, are there any red flags that, that need to be addressed before I do an evaluation and treatment on you? Um, I'm going to make an assumption with the comments that I'm making here that you've been screened by your physician um, and everything looks okay. They, they think it's safe for you to get um, work from PT, massage therapists, et cetera. So what we're going to take a look at first is um, what triggers it? What makes you feel worse? Um, but just as importantly, what makes you feel better? What can you do to soothe the pain, um, both from um, a positional standpoint, as well as an intervention standpoint from medication? right? Over-the-counter prescription, hot, cold, movement, rest, bed rest, exercise. I, I want to know all of that. And I'm going to let you ramble on as long as you want to tell me how this came about. Was it sudden onset or gradual onset, right? If, if you lifted your neighbor's car and your back hurt the next day, well, that would seem to be a good enough incident to cause it, but that also could be a red flag that you did something else. So again, assuming the red flags are passed, um, Oh, but the, the evaluation for low back pain could, could take an entire session for me, although my evaluations tend to be interspersed with a lot of treatment along the way because the two play off each other really nicely. My favorite way to, um, we're going to jump right into treatment, um, at least evaluation and then treatment. My favorite place to evaluate a person is face up on my table, even though it seems counterintuitive where a lot of people might start face down because their back hurts. Um, 26 years ago, when I started my MFR training, I put people face up on the table because it was the way we got at their psoas, which was believed to be the, the, the root of all evil when it came to low back and, and sciatic and pelvic pain. Um, and you know, I, I developed a lot of treatment strategies that were sort of centered around that psoas perspective. And you know, the hands-on work that I, that I did was really useful for that low back pain patient. But then, you know, the time and experience and education sort of pulled me back from the cliff of thinking everything's about the fashion, everything's about um, the psoas. 
Um, and now I pay attention to it more from a neurological perspective. But it's funny because I still start my patients in that same face-up position. And I, and I often do some of the similar things with my hands that I did or learned 26 years ago. I just, I think about them differently of what I'm affecting, right? Um, as well as explain it to a patient in a different way. I don't think psoas is a terribly important structure within the body to the exclusion of everything else anymore. Um, I'm, I'm working with the human on my table from skin down. Psoas is buried pretty deep in that human being. Are there things that are a little bit more plausible that I'm impacting from a skin perspective, from a neurological perspective, from a neurodynamic perspective? And yeah, fascia and muscle are things that we can't avoid touching or stretching or not touching, but impacting. So um, it's all a part of the mosaic of the person on our table. I, I love that face-up approach because I've learned intervention strategies um, as, um, that are really effective for low back pain, but it also gives me the nonverbal communication that I can have with my patient when they're face-up on the table. Um, if you went, for instance, to my website and, and got the, click, the link to my YouTube channel, you'll see some of the standard MFR um, treatment approaches like the lumbosacral decompression, which is where the person's face up on the table and I get a hand underneath their sacrum from between their legs, which is a bit of a dicey place to be put in your hands, right? Especially if they're not clothed. I used to explain that, that I need to get right on your skin because if not, um, I'm treating your clothing and not your fascia. But now I, I, I don't care as much anymore about being on the skin. I treat over clothing or over a, a drape sheet or whatever, just fine. But I want to hand on that sacrum so I can do a very slow and comfortable sacral traction um, while my top hand is on the lower part of the abdomen, engaging, yes, the skin of their abdomen, which could be connected to the cutaneous nerves, which feed back to peripheral and primary nerves. Um, maybe we're affecting pelvic positioning and joint space. Maybe we're affecting muscle tightness, spasm, muscle tone. Maybe we're affecting fascial restriction. Whatever it is, that sort of engagement seems really, really useful. You know, um, I'm, I'm going off on tangents, which I love to do so much. I promise I'll come back. But I find it really interesting how people talk about, well, I've got a muscle spasm in my back. And that we go in and we, we massage or we do manual therapy or MFR to that muscle. Um, but I think there has to be an understanding that that's, that's geography we're talking about. It's as if somebody gave us a map of geography that sometimes became, somehow became more important than the rest of the human, that that, that psoas or that glute or that QL or something, that piece of geography is the reason for that person having pain versus simply part of the map of the bigger person, right? We're a bunch of maps. It's all layered one over the other from skin to nerves to, to lymph to blood vessels to, yep, to fascia and muscle. Um, I think all the maps are important and they all overlay and intertwine with each other. It's impossible to treat a psoas. It's impossible to treat a quadratus lumborum to the exclusion of anything else. But yet we're kind of all taught that we can do that. Each rabbit hole of therapy modality teaches that we can te or teaches us that we can treat that that piece of geography to the exclusion of the human on the the rest of the human on the table. And I think it's important to kind of stop looking at at geography maps and start treating the whole of the person on the table in front of us. In terms of lower back pain or lower back spasms, are there any particular patterns or common? Uh, trends that you see in terms of what you are recommending for people in terms of self-care for, for those conditions? Sure. Um, and, and again, I'm going to um, 
simplify this from the perspective that the person, the patient has been ruled out to have any um, known pathology. Okay, so I don't mean these as, as um, you know, treatment recommendations without a good diagnostic workup. Okay, so there's my, uh, my caveat there. Um, I, even though I don't believe it's about the psoas, I still like teaching the patient air or stretches that seem to be what used to be psoas stretches for me. Things like um, prone propping or cobra, things like um, hip flexor stretches, which, you know, I, I've expanded my mind beyond it's just about the psoas and now understanding that if my patient does a hip flexor stretch and they say that feels good, that's more important to me than telling them that their psoas is short um, and they need to stretch their psoas, right? To some people, flexion feels really good and extension feels really bad. I'm not going to put them into a stretch that feels bad. And if you go into the McKenzie type approaches or some of the other um, older orthopedic type approaches, they would always say, well, this profile you never would do flexion with, this patient profile you would never do extension with. We're going to experiment with a bit of both of those. Which one of the stretches feels good to you? And that's probably more the direction I'm going to take versus trying to work from a perspective of, okay, do you have a disbulge that goes anterior lateral versus anterior posterior, that sort of thing. Um, I certainly want you to leave my office, even on the first session, with, with some self-treatment from self-stretching um, ideas. I would rather um, just give you one or two things that you feel could be helpful rather than giving that sort of standard physical therapy, two pages of exercises that nobody does anyway, right? I also want to get you into movement as soon as possible for the same reason that, that the healthcare professions no longer recommend bed rest for back pain, which they did, you know, a generation or two ago. Part of it is movement is therapeutic. PTs like to dose movement as strengthening or exercising, right? But the concept of dosing is one that, that we all seem to need to do. I like to dose it as, um, what do you like to do? Go do it. Right. If if you like to walk, can you start walking and moving more from that perspective? If it's dancing, then dance more. If yes, if if it's if it's cybex work, then go do cybex work. Something that you can do in a safe, gradual way to start moving more functionally again. And one last question about the application of self-care in in terms of transferring it to the client. Do you, do you do it with them? Do you have them do it with you observing? Do you video it? How, what's the, you find the best way to transfer it from, from inside the treatment room to back at home for them? Yeah, um, I'm not quite to a technological place of doing a lot of videoing. Um, I occasionally we'll do it on the patient's cell phone while they're doing it so they can look back on it. And that's a really, really nice way to do it because they're, they're number one from a HIPAA perspective, right? You're not breaking any, or no privacy issues. Plus they've got it in that immediate form for themselves. Um, but the way I tend to do it is um, we, we do things during the session that the patient hopefully gets on board with my patient centered approach where um, I do something that they immediately feel is helpful. And then right away, we're going to trans transfer that into um, a self stretch where they immediately try and replicate what the two of us did during session. And yep, it's me demonstrating on them, and then it's them trialing it back in front of me, so I can see that they're 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 sort of doing what I had asked them to do. Although it's a fascinating thing, you know, people come back at their second session, and you say, well, how you know how the self stretching go? And they you know they give you an answer, and you say, well, okay, can we just run through that? 
you know, they're doing something totally different from the, from what you had um, originally asked them to do. I have written handouts that I, with photos that, that I have for most of my standard stretches that I give for patients. I also now have a YouTube channel with a lot of self-treatment videos on there. It's sort of boilerplate, at least that they can go and see some of the self-stretching exercises. And probably as time goes on, I'm going to do more, like you said, in terms of using the um, the video format, but I'll do it in the form of their own cell phone taking the videos. Awesome. Thank you so much, Walt. Great. Thank you. So that was Walt Fritz. And if you want to learn more about Walt and his approach or his seminars, you can find more at waltfritz.com. So now I'm going to bring in Meredith Stevens, who will give us her thoughts from the perspective of a physical therapist, structural integrator, and Pilates expert. So welcome, Meredith. Thanks for having me, Haley. So let's talk about working with lower back spasms. So, yeah, what, 80%? Is the, isn't that the stat? 80% of uh, people in the United States have back pain at some point in their life. So that's a lot of people. Um, and, you know, we, we work a lot with people with back pain, whether it's chronic back pain or acute back pain. Um, for a wide variety of different reasons. Um, you know, I, I get calls not infrequently of, I just hurt my back. I'm, my back, I mean, I'm bent over, I'm shifted, I can't move. Um, so generally when I get that phone call, I'm not gonna ask that poor person to get in their car and drive 20 minutes to me. So the first thing I will instruct them on is cold, 24 to 48 hour ice lie them down in a position where their hips are at 90 degrees, their knees are at 90 degrees, their feet are supported on a chair, um, and they are in as comfortable position as possible on their back. Um, we know that is one of the um, positions that creates the least amount of forces going through the spine, so it can help get the muscles to get out of spasm. They're not trying to negotiate gravity and stabilizing. Um, and then the icing obviously can help with pain. It helps with that nerve conduction. It helps with the inflammatory response. So doing ice acutely, um, I still recommend wholeheartedly. Um, the, after that 48 hours, um, then I, you know, check in with them, see how they're doing and see if we can get them in to start doing some gentle myofascial work. Um, I'm always cautious, and I, I say this, and this wasn't a, a case of back pain, but I remember this from very early in my career. I once had a woman come in and said, oh, I turned my neck, and she was in spasm in her neck, and she said, oh, couldn't you please just work on this? You've got to get this spasm out. It's killing me, and I did, um, and I worked on her neck, and I softened everything out, and Oh, she said she got up. And she said, oh, my goodness, that's so much better. And she proceeded to go about her day. And within an hour, it was back. It was worse. She was in huge pain. And that was one of those things that 18 years later, it is sticking with me because people in spasm for a week, they are protecting something. And what I didn't realize at the time was she had an injury and her neck musculature was splinting that injury to her facet joint and my releasing it, which I did a very good job, um, unfortunately made it worse. 
and and made her body double down on that um, splinting action on that spasm. So I have learned uh, I tend not to in my practice uh, mess with something acutely. Um, you know, uh, so I give it that 24 hours, um, have them contact their doctor if need be. Um, I check in with things like, do you have numbness? Do you have pain? You know, is this something that's, a, you know, did you just rupture a disc? Do we need to get you to a doctor right away? So I tease that out. And if it's a case where, no, I've done this before and I'm just, you know, I have this problem with my, I have arthritis or I have a facet joint problem. Um, that's, a, that's gonna be a different case. Now, when I'm, I start working with people, um, I'm, I'm working gentle work to begin with, helping, you know, doing a lot of myofascial work, looking at imbalances though. So I may not necessarily work on the area that is in spasm or pain, but I'm working on things that could be contributing to it. Again, is the pelvis level? Or do I have an asymmetry there that might have caused a problem in the back? Do I have an asymmetry above that might be feeding down into it? I can work, we know by um, our myofascia that we can affect an area from very distant parts. I could work on somebody's foot or, or down in their hamstrings and, and work into their back by doing easing out tensions anywhere along the line. So I start there. Um, as somebody is progressing and we're balancing out and they're starting to move, then I'm, I'm looking at things too, such as uh, what are their mechanics? What are their ergonomics? What is their workstation set up? Are they spending a lot of time sitting? Um, how can we get them to change their movement habits and patterns um, to prevent this happening again? Biomechan body mechanics. Are they lifting appropriately? Because how many times was it I bent over to pick up a fill in the blank and my back went. So teaching people about how to hip hinge, how to uh, squat appropriately, how to lift with their legs, how to keep a load close to their spine. All these things, um, you'd be amazed at how many people, you know, they might've heard it, but they're not doing it. Or they don't even know that they can't, you know, their hip mobility is such that um, they can't flex forward from their hips, they have to bend their spine. So that we have to work on hip mobility so they can hinge at their hips and keep a more neutral spinal position so that they're not putting that kind of load through their spine every time they uh, reach to get something off the floor. All right, thank you so much, Meredith. Mm -hmm. So that was Meredith Stevens. And if you wanna learn more about her work, you can check out her website at www.bodyworksds.com. And she teaches Anatomy Trains workshops, which you can find out at the Anatomy Trains website. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. A big thank you to all of my experienced and esteemed panelists. I continue to be honored that they let me poke and prod their minds on these subjects. It wouldn't be possible without them. Please do rate us on iTunes or through whichever podcast app that you listen to us. And feel free to visit us on Facebook and suggest new topics for me to cover in future episodes. Until then, be well. Be well.